Welcome to our podcast with super fans Rose and Sam and Malika too. She's undecided if she even likes it. But we watched our game and talk about it because it's fun. We probe the wormholes, yes we do, because we have nothing. Better to do so. Listen, here's our show. Hello, and welcome to Probing the Wordhole, a Stargate discussion podcast. I'll be your host today, Rose, a super fan of Stargate. And here with me are Sam, another super host. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you are a super host. You are. A super host. I am a super host. No, I, but I'm also a super And Malika. <laughs> This this episode does not make me super or a fan, but we'll get to that in a second. Today we will be discussing Enigma, episode 16, 16 season one of SG-1. We start this episode, SG-1 enters onto the apocalypse planet full of active volcanoes, doesn't look too friendly, and they find a group of people barely alive and decide to rescue them. So what do you think about this planet? I don't think it's that accurate. It's not accurate as to what a apocalyptic planet looks like, but I appreciated how much effort it took to create this scene. I don't know. I felt like it definitely indicated an apocalypse because it was such bad CGI. Like I, I imagine the end of the world being really bad CGI. Another problem was that the, the actors weren't really interacting with their environment. Cause if you have falling ash, you're going to be coughing a lot. You're going to have scratchy throats, watery eyes. And there, there wasn't anything there. So it, it almost felt like they were doing a play. Yeah. And it was it that the temperature was like rapidly rising. And so they're like, we have to go. It didn't, there did, did seem to be a kind of a lack of urgency considering the state of this planet. Yeah. Seems like they should have had their mop four. Right. Because <laughs> we know that they have them on them all the time. Right. Can we also talk about what Carter said? What did she say? I think this one's had it or bought it or something. Like some of the things that the writers give her to say, it's just awful. Well, so this episode was written by Catherine Powers, right? One repeating issue I find with her, the shows that she writes, is I just don't think that she, the, the characters come off the way that they are. Like they, their voices don't feel right. The things they say and the way they act just feel a little bit off. In particular, like we've talked about it with Thor's Hammer, right? Where Sam just had this air of being annoyed and uncurious and agitated for no reason. And that just isn't her personality way here also like when O'Neill's like Carter how much time do we have and she's like I'm not a volcanologist and she gets all angry I just don't see her responding that way to him a lover's quarrel (laughs) especially like he's her boss too like it just didn't feel it just didn't feel like a way that she would respond I agree so we go back to the SGC and we find out that they evacuated 10 people and that they're all going to live thanks to SG-1's heroic rescue. And when they come into the, the gate room, does the wormhole burn off all the ash? Because every <laughs> single person was clean. I mean, there was some like 
what looked like soot maybe on their faces and they were kind of wiping it off, but the, everybody's clothes were fine. Maybe they shake it off before they walk through. <laughs> maybe it burns off in the wormhole. They're like, it's like a shower. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it would explain a lot if the wormhole had some kind of decontamination effect, because then we would understand their lack of concern about bringing stuff, organisms back and forth. So it turns out these aliens are wearing super fancy technology devices and nobody knows what they are. And Daniel makes his very helpful comments that humanity would be colonizing space if it wasn't for the dark ages. And if another civilization didn't have that period of setback, it's not surprising they would be more advanced. Yeah, I found that very interesting and somewhat mirrored with what is going on right now. Like, are we going to be entering a dark age soon? Oh, we are in it. (laughs) Yeah. The darkest of dark ages. You're right. Yeah. So many reasons. Yeah. Very depressing. (laughs) Yeah. It's super depressing, which is, I think, why we're doing this podcast so we can live in a world that's like better than the one that we're living in. We can live in a Stargate world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is, he's not wrong, you know, like, it's not even just the dark ages, but the the period where like science was sort of not seen as valid and was shunned and people that practice science were persecuted um, so that it really prevented any kind of technological advancement for hundreds of years. And I do think we're almost in like, we're, we have elements of that now. I mean, you have half of the population refusing to get a completely safe tested vaccine to prevent a deadly illness because somebody told them on Twitter not to. Yeah, because they can be tracked. Yes. Microchips, which do not fit in the end of a syringe, by the way. I mean, I'm no vaccinologist. (laughs) It also makes, uh, makes spoons stick to you, right? I haven't noticed that. I haven't noticed spoons sticking to me lately. Maybe I should try that. (laughs) Isn't it supposed to make you like girl? Yeah. And, uh, I think, uh, was it Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend's balls got really big in like Jamaica or something? Yeah, exactly. And his girlfriend left him. Did you do you hear about that? I, no, I think it was in Trinidad. Oh, Trinidad. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean the alternative: big balls or die. Right? <laughs> like, is that a bad thing? Big balls? I don't. Know. I think there's a point at which it's a bad thing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> how do you put out pants? um back to this the boardroom scene what really kind of upset me is that Hammond was all like yay you rescued all these people but in Korai he was like Tilk sorry I I was like gonna let you die I didn't have a problem with that I would think they had some kind of conversation between the two men this is the first time we meet a human civilization that's actually more advanced, right? Usually we are dealing, as, as Malika called it, the museumification effect, where everyone seems to be frozen in some romanticized historical period. These people are ahead of us. It would also mean that the Gould haven't bothered them in these thousands of years. So why would that be? They were lucky. Yeah, maybe they, they were just forgotten about or left alone or, <laughs> crazy idea, uh, they move their civilization away from the gate, like at the base of it. And so the gold just left them alone. And then they're like, we're going to take a ship and go to a different planet. Nobody's going to find us. Yeah. You wonder why those people that are living on these gold oppressed planets don't be like, can't we just walk through the gate somewhere else? 
<laughs> It'll take them a while to find us. Not just find, harvest. <laughs> so maybe like the smartest people on all these planets are like, fuck this, <laughs> escaped and started their own civilization. So then they find, they go to the infirmary. They, the, the spokesperson, or I guess the leader, Omak, is in the infirmary and woke up and wants to talk to them. Well, I know you guys don't know this because you're not big horror people. This is John Kramer, Jigsaw from the Saw movies. This is like, <laughs> he is like the ultimate villain. Have you guys seen Saw? No, I can't do horror. It freaks me out and I don't sleep and I don't like it. Well, I, I the- can't do mutilation. Yeah, saw is mutilation. It's body horror. I would think so. Yeah, yeah, it's it's rough. Jigsaw is like the worst. He's like um a smart, horrible serial killer who plots everybody's demise. So when they took the mask off, the oxygen mask off him, I was like, holy shit! And I just paused it because I was like, this is going to be bad. And then through the whole episode, he was a total dick. So you liked him. No, I didn't. <laughs> I don't like condescending men who are just like dismissive and bitchy. I don't like it. So he, I think he's meant to come off as this just unbelievable jerk, which he does very, very well. Eventually you sort of learn more about him and learn why he is such a jerk. So you, you get a little bit more sympathy for him and all that. I understand why he's so resistant to the human, to, to making friends with the humans and giving them his tech. I don't see why that means he has to be a complete fucking dick from the beginning. I think he could have achieved the same goals by being slightly less of a dick. I I think if he had just explained to them why he doesn't want to share um, their technology, even just say, I mean, later on, we're going to hear why, just say that one sentence, just talk about, you know, we've done this before and it led to war. That's it you pretty much stop the conversation when you're like, you're primitive. <laughs> yeah. You're primitive. I'm putting back on my oxygen mask and turning my head away. <laughs> then we do, as we exit the room, see Nareem making eyes at Sam. <laughs> so we'll talk about Nareem in a minute when we actually gets to say some words. Hammond is obviously none too thrilled with the way he was treated by Omak and is like, get these people off my fucking base as soon as possible. Tell me when it's safe to send them back. So then we have Sam setting up the UAV. Is this the first time we've seen the UAV? Yeah. The little little mini plane that they send. And Daniel tells her that someone is asking about her and her specifically. Any thoughts about that? I didn't like it. (laughs) Sam is is doing her science. She's she's sciencing out or fly, whatever. What's this thing called again? A UAV. UAV. Forget what it stands for. Like it's just a drone. She's, yeah, she, she's droning out on this science thing of hers. And Daniel comes and says, hey, we need you to flash your pretty face in front of this alien and get some information out of him. And then Hammond pretty much tells her the same thing. He's like, hey, this guy has eyes for you. If you can get use that to get some information out of him, that would be helpful. But isn't that counterintelligence? I mean, none of these people will talk to them. Here's your in. Let's exploit it. And Sam can do it. Yeah, I don't so much have a problem with the strategy as like the way that Hammond approached it. Like, I would think he'd be like, listen, I know this is gross. I'm sorry that you're in this position, but can you do this? So she meets Nareem. We're intro to him. You know, we're introduced to him. They, he seems like a perfect gentleman. I like Nareem. He's not creepy. Yet. 
<laughs> do you think he's forward or do you think he's smitten? He is way into her, like from first glance. And this is her first suitor that we are aware of other than creepy Jesus Christ superstar Jonas Hansen. So I found their conversation interesting. Um, how he mentioned that they used to have angels and maybe some kind of religion, but all that nonsense went away because of science and reasoning. I liked that bit. So he tells, yes, he has this angel story, which I thought was cheesy as fuck, but she seems to like it. <laughs> he ex sort of explains Omak's rough exterior. He's just, they're just trying to protect them. They're not bad people. Seems like a better way to go than Omak's whole stop talking to me, you primitive jerks approach. We find out that Tolan, Tolan, Tolana is basically a toxic wasteland. They cannot go back. So now they are officially refugees. And they don't have animals either. Yeah. And so we do find out later sort of why Tolan is the way it is. It's because like the orbit shifted after this in encounter with the other planet. It, I was unclear about the timeline because he says they haven't had animals on Tolan mm -hmm. for like generations, right? So... I'm assuming that means that this, that it was a result of the changing orbit, that it somehow destroyed the ecosystem and the animal species died off. So that must've happened hundreds of years ago, right? And so it does, it's not in his memory. This is what happened with Sarita. But it sounded like it was, it sounded like Omak was personally there when this other planet, you know, annihilated itself. Yeah, I thought it sounded pretty recent, but it must not have been. It must be part of just their historical record. And it's just so present that everyone knows about it. Uh -huh. Did you hear that part where Narim was talking about the Shermal, which are like their angels or whatever, and um, that he had been asking questions about Sam and Dr. Jackson said that she was a brilliant scientist. Now, you guys need to have my back like that and be my wing woman <laughs> and talk me up. We talk, I talk you up all the time. Brilliant lawyer. What did you call us? Lovely and loquacious. <laughs> I, I really think that the these Dr. Jackson and Sam really have tight bond. Yeah, I mean, the, the relationships with the characters are really starting to form now. And I, and I think we see it a lot more starting in the second season. But I always thought that Sam and Daniel had a close, like really brother and sister -y kind of relationship because they're, you know, she's military, he's not. So she doesn't have to have that military distance in the relationship. He's not a superior officer. They, they're, and they're both scientists. So they're, they're really the most like peer-like. Like a, a leering brother. <laughs> in emancipation, he was the one looking at her boobs in that dress. Daniel was like, wowza. <laughs> Only like an inappropriately leering at your sister's chest, brother. Like a, like a porn hub step <laughs> So we have the Tolans now are refugees. They need to figure out what to do. They return their devices to them. I'm a little surprised they return the devices. I'm assuming they studied them already. And maybe they were just like, we can't figure this shit out anyway. Let's just have this gesture of goodwill and give it back to them. And then he's, they tell them that they're going to find a place to resettle them. And Omak's like, don't we get any say? And Daniel says this, oh, so a perfectly Daniel line. Self-determination is very important to us. <laughs> is self-determination very important to us in the United States government? 
I'm pretty sure the history of the United States is rife with like complete disregard for self-determination. Yeah. The thing that comes to mind is the like um, Allende, the president of, was it Chile? Who they assassinated because he was socialist after he was democratically elected. I think it was Chile. Is that the one who's related to Isabel Allende, the author? Okay. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so that's the thing that I'm like, I'm pretty sure that we've staged like assassinations, coups, all kinds of very covert and not so covert attempts to like overthrow democratically elected governments because we didn't like them or they were counter to our interests. But Daniel is a naive person. And I mean, sometimes I'm like, does he really, there's no way Daniel doesn't know the history of the United States. Like he clearly is very critical of the government and the military and all that. Is he just saying that because he wants, he wants this ideal to be part of our ethic more than it is. And he's putting that forth as something we believe in because we should believe in it. Is that what he's doing? I think, I think so. I, I think you're right. I think it mostly stems from his naive, naivete, but I think this is what he wants and somewhat believes. Then we get to Sam visiting Nareem in his little refugee housing area. Can't figure out how to put sheets on a bed. It's so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like even if you've never seen sheets before, you, you would figure it out pretty fast. Would you? Because, I mean, we don't know how they sleep, right? They could sleep upside down. We don't know. <laughs> how can you, how many ways are there possibly used sheets? Like you have a bed, you have like soft things that are meant to assist you in sleeping. Like how many ways are there to use those? I guess they don't go camping, right? I mean, how, he says that the, the bed changes to the, or it forms the contours of your body. So you always have your bed with you. Is, is that what he means? Like, what if he goes on business trips? <laughs> There's, there's other places that they're going to be besides their, their home, right? Do you think that the Tolans have business trips? <laughs> I think that they have like some kind of Batman pouch that probably has like a little cube of something and, and they just kind of throw it and then they crawl inside and it, it becomes- turns into a bed. But I guess they don't have blankets then on that right. world. What, like it's perfectly the perfect sleeping temperature all the time. Well, I mean, think about it. Like uh, Back to the Future. Remember those sneakers where wow. you just step into and it and it laces itself up. Why would you ask somebody who who experienced that to be like tie your shoes? They wouldn't know how to tie their shoes, right? Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Let's cut them some slack. <laughs> So now we get the introduction of Schrodinger the cat. I do think that it was pretty fucking dark to name your cat Schrodinger. Schrodinger. Yeah, that's fucking to give, give your cat away. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> <an> alien. <laughs> like, why does she have a cat? Exactly. <laughs> how is that cat? <laughs> how is that cat going to live in the fucking forest with the Knox? Like, what the? <laughs> So is this Sam's personal pet cat? <laughs> or did she just steal it from somewhere? I mean, why do these people have pets? Maybe this is a porch cat. You know, a cat that lives in the porch. You throw food at it every now and then. It mainly lives outside. Uh, I don't know. It looked pretty well-groomed. <laughs> that is not a feral cat. That is like a house, somebody's house cat. So now we have... Daniel with the goldfish that somehow manages to not die, even when he's like on missions for weeks. 
Jack shows up with this dog for Cassandra and now Sam is bringing her cat to work. So, I mean, maybe this is like, oh shit, this job is not conducive to having a pet. Let's just give them all away. <laughs> maybe that's what's going on. So we get to the briefing room. Malika, aren't you so happy to see Belly Shirt Man Tupelo again? <laughs> well, I was like, you bring these people that we know. I mean, just look at their hats. Omak is going to be is going to eviscerate them, right? I mean, it was it was good to see them again, and I understand I understand that they want to resettle them and make them happy and stuff. But it's kind of like know your audience. Yeah, yeah, agreed. This was clearly not the the right planet for them to go to. But it is nice that they're still friends. So the Tones have escaped though before they even have a chance to meet Tupelo. They find them up on the surface observing the stars. And we, at this point, we don't know how they get out. Then we go back to the, to the briefing room. Everyone's in their fancy clothes. Tupelo offers his settlement to Omak and his people. And Omak is, again, a complete and total dick. Poor Tupelo. I know, I felt so bad for him. I didn't, he, he was so excited. I know, and I don't know if the show cut to his reaction. And I, I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna see it because I felt so bad for poor Tupelo. Yeah, it was, a little, it was a bit much, a bit over the top. So then we finally get some explanation. We're back in the refugee quarters. Nareem and Sam are talking while Nareem is very gently petting Schrodinger. He's clearly he's bonded with the cat. Then we have Sam asking why Omak is such a dick in much nicer language. And Nareem explains the story with the planet Sarita, where they had made contact with the inhabitants, tried to help them out with some energy devices or some devices to produce energy. And instead they used it to destroy their own planet, which then in turn shifted Tolan's planet's orbit, eventually destroying Tolan as well. And that's why they're afraid to give technology to other cultures. I can understand their, their hesitation in giving them technology especially knowing our world, our real world, <laughs> what we would do with it. Yeah, you're like, dude, you're totally right. Keep that shit away from us. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a couple of scenes, we're going to see that anyway, exactly that playing out. But that is the purpose of the government having the gate in the first place. Dr. Jackson and Sam are kind of there to discover technologies that can help people, but that's not why the government's there. You know, the government is there for weapons. So I, I think Omak has a, a point. They should not give us their tech. Yeah, I think he does have a point. But is this, so is this idea generally that humanity needs to be protected from itself, is this, is it paternalistic, right? Is this, is this really just people who think they're better than us saying, oh no, you can't handle, we can handle it, but you can't, sorry, little primitive people. But isn't that how we treat other cultures? It's exactly so, how we treat other cultures, but do, is that a good thing? I think yes. <laughs> do they? they? My my official answer, my final answer is is yes. It is paternalistic, and yes, it is warranted. But I mean, there's a different way to go at it than the way Omak is doing it. It's the knocks are like you just can't handle it. Someday you will, and we'll help you out. But right now, you just can't handle it. And Omak is like, you're primitive, you're garbage, you know? But if I was in Omak's position, I wouldn't be a dick, but I also wouldn't share my shit. So. He needs to learn diplomacy. Yeah, I'm going to say he probably isn't like involved in like statecraft on his, on Tolan. 
because he's not he's not great with people. No. <laughs> well, in about uh, twenty years, he's going to be putting people's heads in like devices that that cut their heads off if they don't do <laughs> like a test. So, do you think I'm going to change subjects here? Do you think Carter had to teach Nareem how to pet a cat? seemed pretty natural it seemed like he knew exactly what to do with a cat it was it was strange that he automatically knew how to pet a cat I, don't know. I think you don't think it's like instinctive to like caress an animal no because what if the animal bites you <laughs> his first well, question should be will this animal kill me or try to hurt me <laughs> i get close to it he trusted sam not to give him an animal that was gonna injure him okay yeah but it's it's like it's not intuitive it's not intuitive you just, if she handed him the, uh, the pussy, <laughs> he would just hold the pussy. He wouldn't know how to pet and massage the pussy. <laughs> and on that note, yeah. Nareem tells Sam that he would stay on earth for her. So he is fully smitten in love with Samantha Carter. No surprise. So I guess at this point, do you think she's sort of in it with him was she like into this or is she still like kind of playing along to get info seems like she's into it yeah i don't think she's as far along as he is but i think she's very flattered mm-hmm. yeah and we don't know how long it's been since she's gotten any it seemed like that jonas thing had been a couple of years ago might be on tinder <laughs> i don't think they had tinder in 1998 <laughs> you probably what did they have back then i don't think they had any dating did they have any dating sites they had myspace maybe they had but i don't even think so I think they had like a on like a um, dating agency that would match you up. Yeah, like a matchmaker. Yeah, yeah. That seems like a real commitment to like go to an agency, give them money, and say match me with people. I don't think she's doing that. They they used to do. I remember it was like um like a like connections, some kind of connections thing, and they would videotape you on VHS and beta. <laughs> <laughs> So we're back in the refugee quarters. Omak tells them their escape was a test and they acted exactly how they thought they would act, which is use threat and force to solve their problem. So they are definitely not ready for the tech. Jack says, well, you're kind of acting like a jerk. So why should we trust you? Good, very good point. Then SG-1 is called away. They go to the control room and that's where they see the surveillance video showing everyone walking through walls. Oh my gosh. Is this possible scientifically, like in any way? (laughs) No. Theoretically. So I remember in my brief experience with like physics or in quantum physics, that actually most, most matter is empty space, right? That actually the bond, the atoms that connect are really small and most of them are empty empty space. So even though we look solid, we're mostly space. And Mm -hmm. so I can see some theory is there some technology that could like make those bonds less cohesive or more like in flux you could actually manage to move through solid matter and if they if they've licked quantum physics then it makes sense that they would be able to do this okay so let's say that this is the realm of theoretically possible i have this book called the the physics of star trek which goes through each of the star trek technologies and explains if it's possible or not i haven't seen one for stargate but there may be one or there should be one but the thing that was the most unlikely, he said, was the transporter yeah. because it's too much data. Yeah. I mean, of course they should be able to walk through walls. I don't understand why they have to like warp. 
to be able to walk through. That was a little weird. Yeah. And it was unclear to me if the device actually changes the wall or changes the wearer because you have to hold the hands. So even, so it looked like the war, the wall was warping, but I think it actually, because well, only the person wearing the device or connected to someone wearing the device can actually go through. And then you right. have the floor problem too, which is encountered many times in sci-fi shows. Why aren't you falling through the floor or the ground? Right. Why aren't you falling? Through? So is it that, I mean, maybe it only works for things in front of you. Yeah. I don't know. But then if they were trying to get out of the mountain, you have to go like up. Mm -hmm. I guess they look up. Because <laughs> it depends on which way you're pointing, like yeah. this one, this one. Well, yeah, because it's not like the other side of the wall is outside. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think there must be something in the device that like you can target which way you want to go. Otherwise, you would totally fall through the floor. <laughs> anyway, Mayborn then hears, so they say this tech is so far beyond them. Oh my gosh, so far beyond anything even the ghouls have. Mayborn enters. That's exactly what I want to hear. Mayborn. We do see Mayborn again. That's unfortunate. He's very <laughs> militaristic, but very like, um, we want weapons. We are here for the tech. We don't care about the people. Yeah, we, we've seen this kind of character before. Yeah, and it, well, he, he said he replaced Kennedy, who is the guy who wanted to take Teal, right? Yeah. So, so, we never, so he says he's from the NID. We never really learned what the NID stands for. I don't think we ever learned what it stands for. We don't? Oh. I don't think so. I think it's just like random letters. I mean, I would think it would be like national something defense. Mm -hmm. I think it's the NID. I think the I stands for intelligence because then later they, they call it um, intelligence. So okay. Yeah, maybe it's like national intelligence and defense. So, I mean, so we, we've seen this a little bit before where we have sort of the good part of the government like Hammond and his team and the bad guys like Kennedy having opposite goals of what they want to do with the Stargate and the stuff that comes through the Stargate. It seems that the bad guys have now formed into their own agency and are really supported by an entire wing of the U.S. government, including the president to a certain degree, which Daniel comments, I voted for him. Fuck this guy. But if Daniel voted for him, it would probably be a Democrat. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's say this is Clinton that's sort of playing both sides. He's Hammond has his ear, he still has his red phone, but he's also authorizing Mayborn to take these people. And Mayborn says, I'm taking these people. Uh, Hammond all of a sudden says, We have quarantine rules, which is the first time we've appeared to care appeared to care about that. But it's a fiction. And we've known that quarantine rules within Hammond's unit are fictional also or any safety precautions are fictional. It's a good excuse to throw out there. And we actually have Jack and Daniel kind of on the same side. So a lot of times we see Jack sort of uh, the more like pragmatic military approach and Daniel having these lofty ideals. Uh, but this time they're both like, no, these people have human rights. You can't do this. So Hammond's a general. Mayborn is a colonel. Would Mayborn really be this insubordinate, even if he has orders that are in contrast to what Hammond wants to do? Because he's, he's really kind of a jerk to him. But Mayborn is is a total asshole. I mean, I, I think it's this scene where he talks about how these, now they're prisoners, would live better than most Americans. And he talks about, you know, food and housing and healthcare and all this stuff. And I was just like, what the fuck? That is some sick, dark shit. I didn't like that. Yeah. yeah. 
So when, before we get to that part, one thing I thought about, so Hammond and Jack and Daniel, it, it seems like SG1 and Hammond, they're all on the same page. Interesting that this comes right after Korai, where there was a real divide about how they wanted to handle the situation. And, I, and then Jack says at the end, Hammond is a good man, or you're a good man, General, mm -hmm. when he's basically saying, I'm going against orders to, to help you and help these people give me options. Is this sort of repairing the rift after Korai? No. <laughs> I would start <laughs> back because I, I was just thinking, where the hell was Tilk? Like, I, I don't think Tilk said anything during this episode. Well, he probably said yeah, something. Tilk has a very background role here. No, so I don't think it, it remedies anything that happened in, in Korai because we, we need to hear from Tilk. Yeah, there's no processing of what happened in Korai, and it's a complete 180 from Korai. Um, I mean, I have a little different take on Hammond's approach in Korai, but there definitely needed to be some kind of reconciliation with him and Teal very specifically, but also with him and the team, right? Him and Jack had a big rift in Karai. And now you're a good man. I'm like, is this the reconciliation? Is Hammond doing this, trying to get back in the good graces? Or has there been that reconciliation that we didn't see? I think there was another conversation we just didn't get to see. Um, but it is, it, the Teal's whole lack of saying stuff in this episode is really strange. Well, maybe, maybe Hammond and Tilk sat down and had a really long conversation and Tilk is just tired of talking. <laughs> That's why he has no lines. Maybe once these people come, he's like, fuck, these people want to take me too. Maybe I should just sit here and keep my mouth shut so they don't try to like imprison me and study my larva. <laughs> okay, so now we go back to the refugee quarters Sam, now SG1 is in the position of being like, fuck, we got to do something about this. We got to help these people. And so Sam is explaining to Nareem, to Nareem what is going on. And Nareem's like, see, I told you this is just like what happened with, with Sarita. I, we were totally right. And he kind of was. And so Sam is trying to explain that it's not everyone. It's just this one part of the government. Um, and there's lots of flirting that happens. <laughs> so you do not like the flirting, Sam. No. Sam was like, I do not like Nareem. No, I don't. It's just one statement that, that completely um, soured my opinion of him. What is it? Uh, where he said that uh, where your brain lacks, your tits make up for it or your face <laughs> makes up for it or something. I don't think he said tits. He did not say tits, but that's what I read into it. Yeah, but didn't he say your what heart. your mind doesn't know your heart fills yes. in? Yes. Yeah, so where is the heart? <laughs> in your tits, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and okay. I don't I don't view that as a compliment at, at all okay he's basically calling her dumb but she has a kind heart therefore she's okay in his book like you it, it's a what do you call it like a backhanded compliment it's not a shit sandwich but it's like a open-faced <laughs> shit sandwich maybe <laughs> but he wait okay so Nareem is like smitten with this angel that he saw it the moment he thought he was dying, right? But he also thinks all of these alien race, silver clad people think that everybody on earth are absolutely primitive. So he does think that he's smarter than her, that they're superior to her. So yeah, it's a totally backhanded comment. It's misogynistic, it's shitty, but Sam is more than just a brilliant scientist. She's also like a well-rounded human being. And part of that is her compassion, her empathy for others. Yeah, I think oh, she yeah. probably thought it was a, a compliment. You know, and 
I don't know that I thought this at the time, but thinking about it now, like if you really think you're so much more advanced than someone and that you keep calling them primitive and she keeps saying, stop calling us primitive, you know, it seems that he, even Nareem, the nicest of the Tolans, still thinks he's better than them. To then sort of have romantic designs on someone that you deem lesser than you or less advanced than you or more like almost like childlike, it seems kind of weird, right? Like if you're going to have a romantic relationship with someone, should be with somebody that you think of as your equal. And it always creeps me out when there's like a child, almost like child grown up dynamic in couples, like, which is why Daniel's whole interaction with Sharae in episode one really pisses me off. I'm like, he treats her like his child, like someone who doesn't understand things. And you're having sex with someone like that. It's not, you're having sex with someone that you're treating like a child and that's creepy. But I, I think it's also, it's not just that she is not his, what he thinks is his intellectual equal, but he also kind of considers her like not a supernatural being, but an angel. Like she fits into this mythical representation of an omen at the at your death and here she is in front of you so he's lusting after this mythological creature that came to him at the moment of his death and rescued him but i understand sam you can hate him i i have an unnatural hate of daniel so i'm there for you i you know i do like nareem he will not be sam's last suitor that we come across as a shipper, I definitely find myself instinctively disliking people that have designs on Sam that are not Jack O'Neill, right? And so <laughs> that may be part of it. She is ripe. Like O'Neill needs- She wants to get some. Yeah, yeah. Well, she gave him her pussy cap. <laughs> you are bad. So SGC does not seem too surprised that there's this new shadow branch of the government. Like it, like these kind of things pop up all the time. I mean, I'm not surprised, but yeah, I mean, and it also like, how does it change the way they approach everything they do off world? Because they make a lot of promises off world. They're like, oh, come back. We'll save you. We'll protect you, whatever. If they have no control over what happens, how can they make those promises? Yeah. So we have another in the briefing room, another back and forth between Mayborn and his people and Hammond and Hammond kind of loses the argument. The president says, nope, Mayborn has my authority. You take them. And Daniel describes it as forced intellectual labor. And that's when Mayborn makes his comment that they'll actually live better than most Americans, which I also thought was a really interesting thing to say. I mean, uh -oh. I think this hits really close to us because we deal with people who are in jail and possibly going to prison. There are people out there who do believe that prisoners have it better than people who are living outside. The idea is they have these great meals, they have TV, they have rec time, they have housing, um, they have all of these things and they think that their lives are better because they have these things and they get it for free, which is absolutely not true. And the fact that Mayborn says this out loud just made me want to vomit all over my laptop as I was watching this because it is so awful. It's so awful in prison. These people are going to like Gitmo. These yeah, they're going to like a black site. Yeah, it, it's not fun. And it, Jack recognized that. He said that's not a life, right? Even if their basic needs are being met, that's not freedom. That's not a life. Yeah. And can you imagine the Tolans in that kind? I mean, they wouldn't 
because they can walk just walk out of the leave. But can you imagine what kind of life that would be, for, especially for them? You know, I mean, the U.S. does it all the time. I mean, Gitmo people haven't had trials in twenty years. So SG1 sort of stages a little rebellion here and brings Hammond up to the surface to have a secret conversation. I mean, first of all, how is nobody noticing? that they're all just chatting on the surface. If, you're, if your goal is to have like this secret meeting, I feel like this is not the way to do it. Well, there's, there's no recording devices. There's nobody eavesdropping on you. But you tell the, the like 500 people you have to pass on the way to the surface, oh, we're just going out for some air all together <laughs> with our general. <laughs> it's a smoke break. And Jack points out that even though he really doesn't care anymore if he gets court-martialed, Daniel can't be court-martialed. And so they're basically plotting a way to defy the orders of their commander-in-chief. This seems pretty court-martialable, whether or not it actually they actually do the things or if they just know about them and facilitate them. It seems like a major breach of your duty as a military officer. And I, know, I don't know if like civilian contractors with the military can be court-martialed or subject to, to military jurisdiction. Not court-martialed, but definitely brought up on charges of treason. I mean, isn't that why Edward Snowden is in like Russia? And he was a contractor. But is this treason? Treason is like a really specific law. But that's what they would charge him with. Right, because Jack is like, you're going to good luck finding a civilian law that's going to cover it. I mean, good luck finding a civilian jury that could hear this, I think is more the concern. Like, how are you going to try him? So we go back to the refugee quarters and we have Daniel now kind of doing damage control with the Tolans, explaining, no, 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 these are different people in the government. We're trying to protect you from them. I don't think he's making his case as good as he thinks he is. I don't think it's making them look better that there are different factions in their own government fighting over whether to imprison and torture them or not. So he's kind of proving their point. <laughs> and then he mentions the Knox but they have similar feelings about earthlings and their level of progress. And that's when they hold hands and walk through the wall. I liked that scene, actually. Even though Omak is a giant dick, it was nice to see him melt a bit, even if it was for Daniel. <laughs> so then they do go up to the surface. Again, they seem to be perfectly fine being left alone. I don't know, if Mayborn is, and his people are there, I would think they'd be having them under like strict guard and following them and taking away their devices, their walk-through wall devices. They know what this is now. Why aren't they taking them away? Well, they are, they do have, because if you remember one of the uh, air people come in and she's like, we were, cause he's Mayborn says, you were supposed to be guarding them. And she's like, I was, and why didn't you stop them? They walked right through me, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they did take precautions. I don't understand why you wouldn't just take away their devices. Yeah. I mean, if you know they're, they, if you know, they walk through walls and this is a recurring problem with keeping them contained, seems like that would be your first thing is give me your walk through wall device, but that's just me. Um, so they do can't do send a little beam thing. Omak tries to explain spatial physics and Daniel doesn't get it. And then we get to the control. Okay. So is this in the control room? So we have Sam working at some terminal. Nareem walks through the wall. They have their very sweet conversation with the kissy kissy is she in the control room and if so wouldn't there be a lot of other people there no she looked like she was in some kind of more like a tech 
science room. They're kissing, right? She she kisses him or he kisses her and she kisses him back. A isn't she doesn't seem to be concerned that people are seeing this because it doesn't seem that she would be kissing someone in a professional setting like this. Um, and there's surveillance cameras everywhere anyway. And so somebody's watching this on surveillance camera and nobody seemed to be concerned about that. The heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like that Daniel walks in is, is the cock blocker. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Oops. <laughs> so do we like this kissy or do we not like this kissy? Sam. It was okay. I mean, she needs to get some at some point, right? It was quite chaste of a kiss. No open mouth, no tongue. Well, he's a gentleman, right? He is. Although he gives her a little device that will now, what? <laughs> what does this device do? It records emotion. So I guess when she activates it, she feels what he feels for her, which is kind of sweet, but I think really, I don't know what I'd ever give someone that device. That seems really like personal. Well, and she liked it at first, like it made her smile. And then the, the next emotion was like, I couldn't read it. <laughs> it, was, yeah, it was like too deep for like, I mean, like she just met this guy. It seemed she's clearly attracted to him. She's interested. She's kissing him back, but like, he's in love with her. And I think I would be freaked out if someone I met two days ago is in love with me and trying to like, give me feeling devices and stay on my planet for me. Well, I mean, isn't this, uh, um, I don't, I'm not in a relationship, but I do listen to relationship podcasts. I am aware that they happen, but this is called love bombing where a guy comes in and he's in love with you. I'll, I'll forsake my alien planet for you and stay here with you forever. I love you. Let's get married. Let's kiss. Let me stroke your kitty, all this stuff. And most women are like, are, get wrapped up in it. And I think Sam, even though she has apprehensions about this, most women get carried away. And I think she finally does get, during this kiss, she finally gets carried away. Yeah, she I, does seem pretty into it. Like, you know, it, it, you know, she's not the kind of person that has a whole lot of free time to date. We don't really learn a lot about her personal life. So it seems like she's flattered and Maybe if he was staying on earth, they'd date and then she'd get freaked out by the intensity of his feelings and pull back a little bit. Who knows? They wouldn't even date. Are you kidding? Noreen would be like, take me to your house. No, he'd want to move it. He'd be U-hauling it for sure. U-hauling it with his one other fitted sheet. (laughs) That's all he has to his name and cat. (laughs) No, she probably has to turn this device in, right? I don't think she can just keep it. She can't keep it. No, it's a bit of technology, advanced technology. I think um, she's going like, to pocket it and just not tell anybody. I think I this know. is going to her house. That doesn't seem like Sam though. I think she would, ha- she would turn it in. Maybe this point, maybe season one, Sam season, like later season, Sam would definitely pocket it. But you know, when you're feeling kind of depressed and lonely, like it might be nice to break out this while well, someone loved me at some point device and replay it for yourself and see the advantage of that. Okay, so now we have Mayborn and Hammond talking. This is when the airman, the female airman, comes in and says they walked right through her when she tried to stop them. Their devices were not confiscated for some unknown reason. And then they escaped. And we go to the gate room. The gate is activated. Sam says, hey, yeah, we didn't do anything. It's being activated from off world. Somebody is coming for them. Mayborn's all in a tizzy. I mean, maybe it's not wrong. It seems like the president's going to be pretty pissed off about this. I don't know why he wouldn't get kicked out of the program, Daniel. Right. 
and why they wouldn't just take Tilk instead, right? Yeah, I think T- Tilk is still playing, laying low. <laughs> he is. But, but he- all the, the non-military, the civilian people are in the gate room with um, the Tolans waiting for the Nox to come. All the military people are in control room. Yeah, I mean, Daniel at least has the protection of being like a, an American citizen. He feels pretty solid that as a civilian with rights, he's not going to be like whisked away to some torture site. I don't know that Tilk should feel that confident. And Daniel, having the death wish that he always has, is fine. He's like, take me away. I don't care. Take me to Gitmo. I'm fine. <laughs> as long as I can tell the, my jailers about Sheree. <laughs> Then the Laya of the Knox enters, looking as wickery as ever. What I was thinking was when Omak saw the blow and his hat, he was like, No. When you see Leia or Laya come through the gate with her wicker hair, why isn't Omak being like, No? <laughs> well, because they're like, they're not primitive. I mean, they're hippies, they are. which doesn't, doesn't seem like the Tolan are hippies. It doesn't bode well. They're though. hippies with tech. Right, right. But I mean, first glance, you're not like these people are super technologically advanced, even though they have twigs and leaves in their hair. But then she like turns on the gate with her arms. Yeah, yeah. Which I didn't think was possible. But she like waves it into existence and the wormhole opens with no, with no kawoosh yeah and then as mayborn is telling the soldiers to like shoot she invisibilizes everybody and they all go through the wormhole and escape and then sg1 is left with the hell to pay she also disappears the guns yeah does she disappear so that was unclear to me i thought their power was for invisibilizing not like taking away it seemed like she took them away it felt like it was taking away because I mean, the, the air people who had the guns, they were started moving their, you know, like it's disappeared. Like it's not just- <laughs> Yeah, it's not in there. Like gone. So that seems like a new dimension to the Nox power that we had not previously seen. They are like, special. They are very special. I like the Nox and now we get to see them again. So we've seen two of our former people before we saw Tupelo and we saw the Nox. And Daniel says, the very young do not always do what they're told. So who was the very, are the humans very young? Is that it? Or are they supposed to be the young people who are not listening to what they were supposed to be doing? I think it was, it felt twofold. So Mayborn and his faction are the babies. Yes. <laughs> SGC is like a toddler. Yes. <laughs> Got it, all right. And the Nox are the grownups. Yeah, the Nox and the Tolans are the grownups and possibly the old, they're just old people. <laughs> Especially the Nox, because they're like 400s so sam what how many chevrons would you give this episode i would give this three chevrons i don't like noreen maybe it's because i um am a shipper i don't know but i I don't like how he treats sam some of the statements that he says that he says to her and i like the Knox, but i don't like them enough to give them to give this episode another chevron so three chevrons malika I give it four because I did like Noreen. I liked seeing Jigsaw. I didn't like him speaking, but I did like seeing him. I thought that was exciting. 
it did feel even though it was an enjoyable episode but it did feel kind of like a space filler but it didn't feel super problematic to me so it it was kind of enjoyable and I, I like seeing Sam happy because oftentimes what she has to do is depressing and and so finally she gets you know some kissy kissy and I like the fact that you would give a random house cat to an alien who's going to a forest planet with the Knox. So I give it a four. What about you, Rose? I give it a five. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, but I, I like this episode. I, you know, we do see the Tolan again. So I think it's a good setup for introducing them and the relationship they end up having with SGC. Um, I really like seeing SG1 members have personal lives, you know, because we, we so infrequently get to see them outside of their work setting. It's kind of nice to see them getting a little action and getting, you know, more of an emotional, personal connection with somebody. I don't mind Nareem. Maybe because I don't feel like at this point, Sam and Jack have really made it into the ship level. We'll talk about next week. <laughs> at this point and I also like the way SG-1 like sort of stuck together and like even when it meant defying orders and even when it meant putting themselves at risk to do the right thing and that's really what they do as a team so five for me so if this episode was being made today how might it be different I'd like to hear some dialogue out of Tilk have him on camera and I would like a little more addressing of the Tolan kind of infantilizing the team and earthlings in general. I'd like to have a little more discussion about that. Yeah, I don't think the, tol the Tolan would be portrayed as so snooty and pretentious because a lot of people do not, a lot of fans do not like the Tolan at all. Yeah, and I think our general societal tolerance for people being utter and complete assholes and still being liked or still being the good guys is sort of low. I mean, people are flawed and, you know, characters make mistakes and stuff, but being a total fucking dick just for the sake of being a total fucking dick, I think isn't as popular. Um, so that might be different. I agree. Teal'c would have more of a role. And I think there may have been more reference to Karai, right? Like given that things are more serialized now and you're going from an episode in which there was a lot of disagreement among SG-1 and with Hammond about what to do that caused a lot of division. And now you're moving to an episode where everyone's really working together against these outside powers that be, I think that, that they would have tied those stories together a little bit more and we would have had more processing and better CGI. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Next week, we will be discussing season one, episode 17 of SG-1, Solitudes. Yay, fan favorite, especially shipper fan favorite. So see you next week. Bye. Because she's she's ready. Well, she gave him her pussy cap. Please like us. Oh, and follow us on Instagram at probing the wormhole or Twitter at probing the wormhole or Facebook at probing the wormhole. You can also get in touch with us at our website, probingthewormhole.com.